Hi, I'm Vincent Versace, and you're listening to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast. Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your hosts, Glyn Dewis and Dave Clayton. Hello and welcome back to another episode of He Shoots, He Draws. Now this is actually the last episode of 2018 and I'm flying solo today, but next week, which will be our first episode of the new year, Dave will be back with me and we're going to go through a bit of a review of what's happened over the last 12 months, which I've got to say has far surpassed anything that the two of us ever thought would happen with this podcast. So thank you to those of you who are regular listeners and to those of you who are new. Thanks for tuning in. But uh, this, uh, this episode... We've got an interview, and it is an absolute corker. And I'm not just saying that, it really is a corker. It's an interview that I did with a friend of ours called Vincent Versace, who's a photographer based in uh, Los Angeles. Super, super guy that we've got to know over the last few years. And if you don't know Vincent, he does a little bit of an intro at the start, but I'm guaranteed pretty much that you're going to know some of his work anyway. But I think this is perfectly timed to come out just before the new year kicks in because I think it's uh, it's fair to say that when I had this interview and I had this chat with Vincent it's probably the first time in all the episodes that we've done that I was almost rendered speechless because what he covers just made complete and utter sense if you how if you have listened to you know all the kind of episodes that we've done you'll know that we've mentioned about how sometimes probably just me, has struggled with how people kind of refer to themselves as artists and they kind of walk all kind of, well, they don't walk, they glide as if they're all kind of be all arty-farty. And I kind of struggled with it. But I've got to say, Vincent does talk about photographers and photography being an art form. And it's probably the first time that I've gone, you know what? You're dead right. And it just made absolute sense. But there's so much that he talks about that is incredibly useful. Um, He talks about how photography needs to be timeless. Classic photography needs to be timeless. And also talks about how he uses modern day technology to create timeless images. Because he says really for an image to be captivating, I'm obviously talking about portraits here, for a portrait to be captivating, there has to be some kind of an emotion. But how do you get an emotion into a picture? Because when you throw into the mix things like cameras being shoved in someone's face, flashlights going off, all that kind of stuff can take somebody out of a moment. It can kind of lift them away from it and it can actually kind of change the whole feel of it. How do you get somebody relaxed? And it was when Vincent explained how he uses modern technology to do that that I was completely blown away and I'm really glad that when I did have this chat with Vincent it was only a couple of days before I went to go and photograph two D-Day veterans uh, and I used what Vincent talks about in this particular interview and it worked an absolute treat so I'm not going to go on much longer Uh, you're going to absolutely love this really listen to what Vincent says because it just makes so much sense and I really generally think this is going to be a just a brilliant start uh, for the new year if you take on board what he covers you're going to love it check out Vincent's work he does actually mention as well at some point in the interview about some uh, live streaming uh, webinar type thing that he's doing at B&H Photo in um, in New York. That has obviously since passed. However, I did share the details of that on social media just before it went live. So, in usual format, let's kick off with Vincent. Who are you? 
Well, besides 47 arrests and not one conviction, um, I am blessed to have been Nikon's first digital photographer, Epson's first beta set test site, the second employee of Nick Software, the sixth employee of Altamira Group that created Genuine Fractals. Um, my work's part of the permanent collection of the Smithsonian. I leap tall buildings on a single bound on the weekends, and I'm also a part-time short order cook. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that and on Wednesdays, I go shopping and have butter scones for tea. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, well, Vincent, obviously, we've we've kind of met and kind of known each other over the years. Um, we've never, and I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, we've never actually had the chance to sit down and just chat. It's always been events when it's kind of like, hi, how you doing? Quick chat and away we go. And I would probably say it's only over the last few months that we've started to communicate a bit more. And I'm, I am chuffed to bits about that because I was, if I'm honest, I was a little bit intimidated. But now we're here. Now we're sitting. Now I've got your. Now I've got your attention here. Can you? I, I'm going to ask you something that you probably get asked a lot. But this is going to kind of kick us off as well. I want to know how did you get into all of this? Because I know you as being actually saying that. Looking at your stuff before we've spoken, I've done my legalized stalking here. I've been on the internet and looked at all your stuff, Uh-oh. and I only view. I only thought that you were a portrait photographer. But oh my god, how wrong was I when I'm looking at some of the stuff? One picture in particular I want to talk about is the Eiffel Tower. That is a unbelievable picture. In the snow, <laughs> all right? But right, how did you get into this? Uh, that picture or photography? All right, okay, we'll get to that because we'll the story is hysterical. Um, Good. I'm going to remind you to ask you about that. And so, t- just give us an overview. How did you get involved in this? I mean, were you always a photographer, or has it been anything else in your life that you've done and you found it later in life, or what? Well, there are two of two defining events in my life when I was between five and seven. Okay. Okay. So my father takes me to see Marcel Marceau at Carnegie Hall. Right. Okay. And I'm, you know, five, five and a half, somewhere in there. And I was just absolutely like, whoa. Now, at the end of the performance, my father lost his son. Now imagine having to explain your Italian father to his wife that he lost their, his son, his eldest son. Right. Can't find me. Flipped out. Security, cops, ushers, everything. They find me. I had literally walked through the crowd as it was leaving, walked up on stage, walked up to Marcel Marceau, pulled on his a little jacket and proceeded to do the wall and the tug of rope. He proceeded to start playing with me. I proceeded to start playing with him. And then I see my father who does not know whether to beat the crap <laughs> out of me, right? And, and, and kick me into the middle of the next century or be absolutely, you know, enamored by this experience. So Marcel Marceau and I are looking at my father with the same sort of like, <laughs> and so I was always just captivated by the magic of illusion that i saw the wall i saw the rope i saw those things cook to my i have two uncles both of which are photographers one's a wedding photographer and he got roped into um babysitting me and he had to put out a job so what do you do with your six ish seven ish somewhere in there your old nephew that you don't want to babysit and you got to work. You bring him in the dark room, 
you activate the safe light. <laughs> you engage the enlarger. You do the magic gestures with the hands and all of that sort of stuff. And then you take the image and you put it in the developer and the image materializes in front of your eyes and you are going, oh my God. And then I got a whiff of fixer and I was hooked. So I'm hooked. So I save up all of my allowance and I buy a camera in a yard sale because I want to be a photographer like my uncle Frank, right? So my other uncle um, decides that my, and I wish I had this camera today, my point and shoot made in occupied Japan Nikon camera that sold in auction for $400,000 that I paid seven bucks for. Well, hold, well, hold on a second. You sold it for that or? No, I sold it for 35 bucks to buy my f next camera. And I thought I got a deal. And when I saw it on auction of, you know, this, the camera I paid seven bucks for in a no. yard sale, it was like, moron. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, my God. I just have been hooked on theater and photography and the illusion of suspending disbelief. So that's kind of how it all mixed in. And then my old man's a rocket scientist, so you throw in the love of physics and math and all that other crap. Well, I mean, you mentioned at the start there, then, so obviously now you've, you've got this interest in photography and that's kind of where it all stemmed from. But what you said at the very start, all these, um, you're this, you're that. I mean, I'm looking at your, your website now, your bio, cracking photo, by the way, of you uh, as a youngster there. Yeah. Um, Gerber says, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Nikon Ambassador, recipient of the Computer World Smithsonian Art Award in Media Arts and Entertainment and the Schellenberg Fine Art Award. It just goes on and on and on. And this is why I wanted to get you on here, because this is like, my God, do you know what I mean? There's some serious stuff there, some real serious stuff there. So when it looks at your photography, you've been, you've been around it for you know, a number of years now. Okay. Don't remind me. <laughs> Listen, hey, look, the grey hair on me, look, I've been around, this is the proof I've been around a while now. Yeah, don't remind but, me. But the, what, what is it about the photography then now that is it, because... Portraits, I, I'm looking through your stuff. Portraits, there's landscapes, there's there's like still life stuff. I mean, what, what is your bag now? Because you said about the illusion is what really like, interests you. Well, that's what we create. We create optical illusions. All right, you create with your work. Your work's expletive, brilliant. And the expletive I was going to use was a fricative. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, so you see, I see how I got around that. Yeah, yeah, I got okay, that. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, so I look at this stuff, and when you look at it, you accomplish what I think is the most important thing to do in a photograph is when, okay? When. I have no idea if it was shot yesterday or if it was shot 50 years ago. You have accomplished the ability to create the when. Maisel believes that there are th uh, three elements to any, key elements to any photograph, light, gesture, and color. L you can see this. Okay, this is, his, this is my impersonation of Jay Maisel giving Jay Maisel's demo on this. Ready? <laughs> Light, gesture, and color are the key elements of anybody's photograph. Light and color are obvious, but it is gesture that is the most important. It is gesture that is the most telling. 
Okay, so this is probably just as well then that this is an audio podcast. Right, right, right. Okay, so gesture is <laughs> the most important because I can't leave well enough alone. I have four. Light, gesture, color, and timelessness, specifically timelessness. Okay. The ability to create something for my, my brother coined the phrase temporal apogee, which is when something moves, it moves in, it moves out, right? Like a wave will move in and then it will move out. But there's a moment where the wave ceases to move forward, but it is not yet moved back. So okay. it's hovering, it's in its apogee. And so the most successful photographs are the ones that when you look at them, you've stopped the moment in between moments and you have absolutely no idea when. The only indicators of when are the knowledge of the technology that was used to capture the image. Okay. So on that, on that then, you're saying the creating this timelessness, because now this is interesting because it's making me think of my project, it's making me think of your black and white work, because that is what I would say has a timelessness to it. Are you creating the timelessness, in your opinion, at the um, time of capture, in the post-processing, or is it a combination? Are you thinking about that at the time, or what? Oh, you're, forgive me for sounding like Zen monk. No, I wanna, I wanna, okay, I wanna right. thrive on this. All right, Here, here's the thing. Every decision you make about a photograph, about that image, has to happen at moment of capture. But there is a very important delineation between what you do when you capture. Most people take pictures. I don't take pictures. They take me. So my journey is not trying to drag the subject kicking and screaming through the lens. My journey is I am ripped through the lens, so it's an opposite direction. So that the minute the moment grabs me, plugs, my reflex is to do that. Now, what's important and why it's important to know everything there is to know about everything there is to know about the middle is you've got to get to a point that in Zen Buddhism is called Shibumi, which is the, the concept is thoughtful but thoughtless thought. That you do the right thing that's appropriate for the moment in the moment without consciously thinking about it. You simply do it. So the more knowledge you have of how light works, how Photoshop works, how you can handle the image, the more informed you can be when you do that but without thinking about it, that it's, a, it's like a subroutine that runs underneath being taken. I don't think about the photograph um, as I'm taking a, it. I'm being taken by it. Now, there are two schools of thought here. Um, Ansel Adams said that um, without pre-visualization, photography is nothing more than a five-finger exercise. Paul Caponegro said, if you believe in pre-visualization, you deserve what you get. Who's right? Uh, right, okay, so my thoughts on that then, because I've been brought up as, and those who listen to this will know this anyway, but doing the bodybuilding. And the pre-visualization was a key part of it. So you had to kind of visualize what you wanted to be like before you even got there. So that's, it's like the sportsman thing, you know, you're winning the race before you've even started, that kind of stuff. So I, I get what you're saying there about the pre-visualization, but remind me again, Ansel Adams said? Without pre-visualization, photography is a five-finger exercise. Paul Caponegro said, if you believe in pre-visualization, you deserve what you get. But are they not saying the same thing there? They're not. Because, right. 
Okay, they're both right. Here's here's what it is: is the only thing I pre-visualize when when I go out to shoot. The only thing I think I I pre-visualize being amazed. The moment the shutter gets clicked is the moment I start pre-visualizing. Pre-visualizing. It's a tough word for me to say. I'm only on the eleventh cup of coffee. <laughs> um, what the image will look like. Based on when I was a kid growing up, my father had this poster of a Saturday Evening Post um, cover by Norman Rockwell called The Connoisseur. And it's this guy looking at a Jackson Pollock scribble holding a bowler hat. And I take the picture that just took me and I put it in that frame. And everything I do with regard to post-processing from the moment that the picture took me is about making it feel like I want it to feel like when it sits in a frame and I'm looking at it. Yeah. That's my, so they're both right. I don't pre-visualize as I'm take, being taken by the picture, but the moment the picture is taken, then I start solving the problems. Ah, depth of field requires, um, if I want five things in focus to, in digital because of the way in which resolution works, I'm going to need five different elements. I'm going to have to grab the foreground, the middle ground, the background. I want uh, F1.4 bokeh, and I want F8 focus. Okay, F8, F1.4. So I'm going to create these things. And what I've come to the personal realization, and I invite you, invite you to consider this, is we create optical illusions, which brings us back to the two things that took me, okay? You mm -hmm. don't make a photograph, you create an optical illusion. I put your eye where I want your eye to go. Yeah. I light it in such a way that you're, you journey through the picture, you look at the different textures, you have areas of retreat, areas of attack, and if I do my job correctly, you can't stop looking at the picture. So the picture feels like it felt when the picture took you. And a goodly portion of that is your darkroom technique based on your knowledge of when you captured the image. So everything you do is in support of what? The print, right? The final outcome. Yeah. What's the print in service of? Your voice, which happens where? At the moment the picture took you. So you're always moving in this circle, but it's in a straight line. So that's why I feel it's important to, yeah, understand all the stuff. Don't look for the easy button. Don't take shortcuts. What's the best thing that's going to survive you? The best thing of you are the images you create. Yeah, yeah. So am I, am I kind of get? let's just make sure I'm getting the, quite, the, the, the right handle on this then. Because when I kind of first started out, I was just literally, my, my main focus was on the retouching side of it. That's where I created what I wanted the picture to look like mm -hmm. but as, as time's gone on I mean as I was growing in the photography world I would occasionally hear people sort of saying oh I could visualize the picture before I even took it and I used to think oh get over yourself that's how I used to feel like you know people trying to be arty farty and trying to be something that you know, I just felt they were really trying to force that issue right what's is that what your take is are you saying to me now then when you're taking that picture in fact before you press that shot you know what your what that print will look like once you've taken the shot, processed it, printed it, you already know what that's going to look like, or is that the not what you're saying? What I'm saying is that the moment the picture takes me, when I go click, at the moment after the click has happened, in my head, I am now seeing the picture that took me and trying to pre-visualize it finished. I don't pre-visualize the image until after the image has been taken. Because okay. to do that is... I start getting into, well, I can't take that. I shouldn't take this. I'm not, okay, really? Okay. Look at all the rules, the, as far as I'm concerned, BS rules of composition that I have been taught over the years. Rule mm -hmm. of thirds, right. Um, Grecian mean, uh-huh. 
Don't bullseye the photograph because the center of the frame is for the deity of your choice, not you. Or the center of the frame is the most powerful part of the photograph. Who's right? They, they all are. The only thing that's wrong is the concept of don't take the picture because of these rules. The overarching rule, in, in my opinion, is if it looks cool, take a picture of yeah. it. Yes. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the organization of the picture if the picture takes you in a way and it looks unique. Like I just did a picture of a car in Cuba in infrared in wide angle at an odd angle shooting down at it and all of a sudden this thing is just and at the moment that it took me it was like well that's cool and what I've been listening to is like oh my god dude that's one of the best car pictures you've ever taken. Jeez I've never seen a car. Like okay I think the <laughs> I mean I like it and I'm sure I'm going to learn to like it more the more people tell me how good it is. But um, the, I think the thing that I watch people do is nothing I do, in my opinion, is art. It's expression. What you're looking at are the postcards of the vacation that is my life. Art is something that people I don't know accuse my work of being. It's art to them. It's expression to me. The picture took me because I'm in the moment. There's this really cool car and there's this noise and this stuff and I'm on my way to get a cup of coffee and I know the story. So what you're seeing is a snapshot of the story that to me has greater meaning but will have some other meaning to somebody else that but, may not but, have anything. But when somebody calls it art, it's do, art. You do you appreciate that? Or? I love it. Thank you very much. But it's yeah. not required. I don't require people to like my pictures. It's nice, but the only person that really needs to like them is me. Uh -huh. Because if I'm trying to make pictures for other people, I had best hope the people that I have never met have good taste. Because I'm trying to make pictures for people that aren't in the room. And the only person that I can guarantee whose opinion that I can trust at 4.37 in the morning when the cat's tired of trying to get me to go to bed is me. So that's what I get hired for. I get hired for the way I see the world. You get hired for the way you see the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all have a unique voice. That's what makes us great. Everybody has a Pulitzer Prize winning picture in them. Every actor has an Academy Award winning f performance in them. It's just a matter of context. And nothing I do is art. And I think that people that call themselves artists, unless other people and a lot of them are calling themselves artists, are kind of like, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> saying that the, the the phrase an artist is uh is something that we have discussed on, on a few episodes before now because it was something that kind of it didn't sit well with me i think i'm i am very black and white and i'm always had the opinion i'm only as good as my last picture and all that kind of stuff but when people and i think as well because because i had grown in the photography and i'd seen these people who were calling themselves artists when i didn't understand the process I did. It just it didn't sit well with me. Now I get why some people would call it. Obviously, we're all kind of different, and some people refer to it art. Some people don't. You call it expression. That's 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 we're all different, I guess. But the leading on from that, because I know that when we originally kind of talked about uh, getting to have this chat and we we're organising a day, you mentioned that you were going to see Jay Mazel. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be sitting with Jay, and I think I'm right in saying that he was kind of like it's almost like a yearly review of your work, critique, advice, stuff like that. Is that correct? Uh, review is polite. 
Colon cleansing. Colon cleansing with Jay. Okay. It's 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 humility. And um, all right. Again, and I know that somebody's going to complain about how full I am of myself and or whatever. It's like we all know who we are as good as, who's better than we are, and who we're better than, right? You can look at work, and you all we all make a judgment, good, bad, or indifferent. When I look at Jay's work, it's like his outtakes are better than my best stuff. And this is a man that, through the course of my adult life, has been one of my great mentors and great friends. And so what I have is I have the honor and privilege of having him take a look at my work, which he doesn't really like to do for a lot of, a lot of people. And he looks at it, when he looks at it, as if he took it. So having a conversation with one of the world's greatest photographers looking at your work saying, what were you thinking? Or actually, what were you not thinking? What, why did you do this? Why didn't you work on How come you... So, for example, I, um, about five, six years ago, we had a conversation about how all of my pictures seem to have the subject looking at me and I'm engaging with them. And he says, you stop doing that. And I went, uh, 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 I like doing that. Well, no, stop. So I went to Burma uh, on a gig for one of my book projects that I'm working on. And so I shot the entire three weeks that I was there as much as I could, as close to 100% the way in which he suggested. I wound up with some extraordinary photographs, but I came to a personal realization that part of what I like is I really truly do like to create photographs that make it so that the, sub, the viewer is standing as if they're standing in the same place I am, that there's a connection. And what I wound up creating are pictures that are now about 50-50. But I never would have explored that if somebody whose work I absolutely believe is sublime um, sat me down and said, hey, listen, do this, consider that. And so I did that, and that, that's what I go through. Um, the first time I went to Cuba, I was all bent out of shape about how bad the shoot went. I got about 25 usable pictures out of, out of a six-day shoot, which wasn't sitting well with me. So... What the reason was is think about Cuba. We all in our minds have a preconception of what 1962 was like, what Castro was like, all of the Cuban Missile Crisis growing up in that era, which I grew up in. So I went in with a preconception of what I thought Cuba was supposed to be, and I went looking for that. Okay, and so when I showed him my work, he goes, what the hell's going on here? And I go, what do you mean? It's like, it looks like you're looking for something. Have I not taught you anything? You, did, you took these pictures. They didn't take you. And it was like two by four across the forehead. Okay? And I think that everybody in their life should have somebody who they put in that position that will not bullshit them. Yeah. Okay? And for me, I'm blessed by whoever it is that you believe in to have several individuals like that, Maisel being one of them. And that's because you know that when they're, when they are, when you're sat with them and they're going through stuff, you know that what their advice they're giving you 
isn't based on ego. It is a genuine desire to say, look, you need to do this because this will make you happier with what you're doing. It'll give you better results. Right. I, I remember a while back now, I ended up doing some portfolio reviews. And it's something that um, Alan Hess, you know, obviously, Alan. Yeah, no. and, was, and we were sat near each other. He was talking to somebody. I was talking to somebody. And this one guy he sat down with me with his portfolio. And he wanted me to give him some ideas. And you, have you heard the, um, you must have heard the phrase, the, the, the sandwich? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, right. Okay. So the good, bad, good. So I was doing the good. And then I was kind of saying, you might want to consider X, Y, Z. And every time I made a suggestion, it was cases of, no, I like that. Okay. So another picture, I'd suggest something, no, I like that. So at no point did this person ever agree with me. It kind of made me feel that he didn't want to review. He wanted me to tell him how good he was. Yep. Okay. In my life and in yours as well. You have enough people that will blow sunshine up your posterior, right? And tell you how wonderful you are. That's really not helpful. Mm. What's helpful is somebody whose work you think is wonderful is willing to sit down and say, we're going to accept the fact that if you're here, you've reached a point where, yes, you know you're good. I know I'm good at what I do. Otherwise, I wouldn't be making a living that I make doing what I do. And you wouldn't be making a living at what you do. What you need is you need to have somebody to tell you, what part of your shit stinks? And that's what I need because if I have everybody telling me how wonderful I am, then what occurs is I have no idea where I'm not good. And then what occurs in that is the next thing I know, I'm not hired because I'm not evolving, I'm not changing, I'm not growing, I'm not seeing the world anew. That I need to be able to play, I need to be able to have somebody who I can trust with my emotional instrument and can take it and say this doesn't work consider this because um i i went to acting school and the the rules of acting the way i was taught are um the safest place in the world for an actor to be a center stage center stage is wherever an actor is an actor must earn the right to enter center stage an actor must earn the right to exit center stage to enter or exit center stage all eyes must be upon you to enter all eyes must be upon you to exit you and only you are responsible for your emotional instrument safety and if it ain't safe don't act that's the way i run my life okay so <laughs> i have somebody <laughs> wow okay. okay in which I know that when I put my instrument in his hand, that anything he says to me is not said with malice. And if you can find that, that somebody whose work you respect, that respects your work, but you respect them, and, they can, and you can be open to hear what doesn't work. Because there are things that don't work. Like, I, I mean, mm -hmm. I've got pictures. Now, I, I may not agree with somebody, but I certainly do listen to them. Mm -hmm. Because everybody has an opinion that is worth listening to, whether or not... Or one of the arguments Maisel and I had about is that he shoots in JPEG a lot. Yes. So I'm all into him about that. And to what she said to me, you don't think I don't get that Photoshop is not the most powerful piece of software in the world? I get it. But if I learned it the way in which you are suggesting I learn it, I'd never leave my bank. Right, I never leave the studio. I want to spend the rest of my life being taken by a photograph, not tweaking a photograph. Yeah, yeah. That's valid. Okay. You and I can make a hellacious career if we picked up iPhone photography. I just don't want to shoot the world that way. Mm. I get it. If I wanted to build workshops about how to do that, 
that would be a great way, but I prefer to look through a camera's lens and I prefer to see it that way and I want to work on a file that looks that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. You have to, but first you have to play with it. And then once you play with it, you get to make decisions about if you like it or not. Like um, right now, I just finished three years of you know, playing with strobes and what have I come up to the conclusion of? Don't like necessarily to shoot strobe. I prefer LED. I prefer natural light. Now the, the the LED. Let me just dive in there. The LED natural light stuff. Recently, I've seen you producing. Uh, you had a, you had a recent project, I believe, when it was like a photograph from that woman. It was all kind of Marilyn Monroe esque. Yep. And that I I'm, I'm that's when we were communicating quite a bit because I was like, love that. I like that streak of light there. It was all very film noir. And was that all LED natural light then? All LED. And the what fact it, that she wasn't looking most of the pictures, if I'm right, she wasn't looking at the camera. She was looking across. Which yep. obviously is not, is that, was that a conscious decision? Was that a Jay Maisel kind of in the back of your head saying, don't get him looking at the camera? Or was that just it wasn't, something? It wasn't conscious. Right. But all of that's in the mix. Okay. One of the things that we did in acting school, um, when you were working on a monologue for a part, you have loud speech, whispered speech, fast speech, slow speech. Okay. And you would do the, mo you would do, you do your monologue. You'd whisper it, you'd yell it, you'd do it slow, you'd do it fast. And then when you did all of those things, you'd say it. And what would happen is that all of the organic things that were supposed to be in those things would automatically find themselves. Okay, I did Maisel's exercises. I did these exercises. I did that. And so when I pick up the camera, what happens is I'm in Shibumi. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. You have to practice at practicing. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time, you know, photographing my kitties, you know, playing with plants because they don't talk back mm -hmm. and seeing how light works. So yes, I was using hive lights with a Fresnel and a Leco and um, sun bounce cage with sun bounce sparkling sun reflectors bouncing into that and then sunlight as the ambient. And all of a sudden, and I got this thing called a Lumi where I could measure the color temperature and I could match all the lights. And I, I was in hog heaven. And when I was done, what you got was a picture that looked like that. Take that to the next level, which was, I put the camera in, uh, it was with a D850, I put the camera in uh, facial recognition follow focus, in silent mode, and I have a remote in my hand. So the remote's underneath my arm, and the camera's focused on the subject, and all I'm doing is talking to her, and every time something takes me, I hit the shutter. So that quality that you're referring to is, she has absolutely no idea that the picture is mm. actually being taken of her. She is taking the picture because she's connecting to me. Mm -hmm. When we finished the two-hour shoot, she was like, she asked me literally, so when are we going to take a picture? Because all, all you've been doing is adjusting light and having me change costumes. It's like, and I said, we're all done. We went through uh, 256 gigs of capture. So two 128 cards. The only time I've ever done that kind of tactic is when I'm photographing somebody that... I get the feeling they're a little bit self-conscious and the minute I know that I go behind the camera, if I've got them relaxed beforehand, the minute I go behind it, it's going to wreck it. So that's when I have kind of stayed above remote, just chat, 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 do the old snap. But I've never thought about doing it in a planned shoot. Well, all right. Um, I'm going to be doing this. Um, I'm going to teach this on a uh, live streaming uh, whatever they call it for B and H on the 12th. 
of December. Yep, that's what okay. I'm going to New York to do. And so I have Fancy Mars, my one of my favorite models to shoot. And basically, um, what it's evolving to is it, it's going to be it's going to be it's called the conversational portrait, but it really should be one light, two light, three light, Hollywood light. And so I'm just going to play. I have no idea what I'm going to do other than uh, I'm an improvisationally trained actor. So it's like, okay, great. Yes, and. I have the camera. I know that the camera works. I know that uh, facial recognition follow focus works. Great. So what I'm going to do is set the camera up, and the camera's going to do that, and I'm going to put it on a 70 to 200 f2.8 lens. And the reason why I want to do that is because I can rotate it um, without having to do anything on the tripod so that I'm creating a situation in which the subject will have absolutely, utterly no idea what it is that I'm doing. I really like the sound of that. Okay, and it's like, so I'm gonna sneak up on them. It's like shucking oysters, you gotta sneak up on them, right? Um, so what happens is you get, there's something that Viola Spolin said. She's the, um, she created the whole concept of um, improvisational acting, it's called Spolin Technique. In absolute spontaneity, you get absolute truth. You can only be one way if you're spontaneous, and that's truthful. Okay, you can edit and tell the truth, but you cease being spontaneous. And all the pictures that you like, all the portraits that you have fallen in love with of other great photographers, look at them. Like the, like the women in the roller coaster, right? Yeah. You know the shot I'm talking about yes, where they're yeah. just the, that's reckless abandon, absolute spontaneity. They have no idea that the picture is being taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that ineffable quality, that moment of temporal apogee, that is what makes an image timeless. It's that that takes you. And the goal of a photograph, be it a picture of a flower, a landscape, or a person, is to create a situation in which the viewer is taken the same way you were, and it's as if they were standing where you were when the image took you. And Do you know, never before, and I mean this, never before have I even considered using LED until now. Oh my God, LED's the way to go. The absolute most brilliant way to go. I have, um, take, take a look at Hivelight, I'll hook you up to talk to the guys that run this. They're cine lights. Okay, this is the trippy thing. When it comes to color and noise reduction, still photography kicks cinematography's posterior. Mm -hmm. See, I was going to say ass there, but. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to light, however, cine walks all over still. So what I have is complete full sunlight, total CRI, in which I can change the color from pure red all the way to pure green and everything in between, I can literally dial in the color temperature in theory of 4.30 February 23rd Norway if I want that quality of yeah. light, okay? So I can, there's this gadget that fits on your phone, Lumi, okay? It's a light meter and it's a color I've meter. I've seen it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Worth it, worth it, worth it. I, I, I won't go anywhere without it. You measure, I take a color picker, color checker, put that in front of the, um, subject okay. and then I measure the light and then on my phone I can dial in the color temperatures of the light that I want so I can have an LED with a Fresnel hooked up to it and I can dial that in so that it matches the color temperature of the light coming off the reflector that I'm using which uh, I like to use sparkling sun sun bounces they're the prettiest 
Um, and then I have a Leco, a baby Leco, that I can strip light in front if I want to. Then I have two lights that I bounce into reflectors that bounce light in. And if I want to, I have, uh, I use, uh, you're with Westcott, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I use uh, a, either the Westcott white umbrella that's black with the diffusion or the Westcott diffusion umbrella to just give me ambient. Right. Okay. So what happens is I can create the light volume that I want, and because it's continuous, you have no idea that the camera has shot the picture. So let's look at your, I'm in love with your portraits, okay? Thank you. And, I, and I, I'm not trying to blow sunshine up your posterior. I am absolutely in love with them. And try on the next shoot where you're trying to do some guy that's, you know, RAF or whatever, set it up that way and don't let him know that his pictures are being taken. Well, and do you know what you, as my mind now, and I didn't expect this, I really didn't, my mind is just giving it all these ideas I've got coming through my head now because I'm, I am seeing somebody this Sunday, um, this coming Sunday, uh, and it's a 95-year-old guy who's an ex-Royal Marine. He was in D-Day. He did the landings on Sword Beach. He was in the Battle of the Bulge, and I've got the opportunity to go and photograph him, and I know how I'm going to be photographing him, but I want to get something that is um, in intimate's the only word I can think of, where you can, you're almost seen into him. And I think the only way I can really get that, if I'm truly honest now, I'm listening to what you're saying there, would be to be using a continuous light source so that I can do the kind of things you're talking about because he's going to be unaware of it. Right, he has taken. to be. Now, what, what camera do you shoot? Now, I'm shooting Sony, uh, a Sony A7R2 at the moment. I've got the new, uh, I'm taking the new um, Elinchrom ELB 1200s and they've got a daylight balanced uh, video light as the modeling light built into them. So okay. I'm thinking, I'm going to do my, I'll do my strobes but I am going to do this with the because I haven't really the only time I've ever really made use of face tracking is for what we're doing now video. I've I've got another Sony using as a webcam here that's tracking me as I'm moving or or for regular regular filming. Never for stills. All right, here's the thing: where I've made my living in software is seeing things that unrelated patterns that line up. Nobody ever said that it shouldn't work for still, but nobody designed it for still. It's designed for video. Do you see how well it's working on you for video? Mm. Okay, what are videos made up of? Frames. Okay, so it's doing it on a frame-by-frame -frame basis. So why are you not using it? Because we believe that it's for video. Okay, now I learned this, it's a funny story. Um, I dated a, a woman named Nancy Sullivan, and she was one of the hosts on E! Entertainment, okay? And sh then she went on this show called The News, which is this comp sketch comedy thing. So we went to see the premiere of Pret-a-Porter, the movie Pret-a-Porter. And so I'm walking uh, up the carpet with her, and you ever wonder why actors always wear sunglasses, right? It's like, uh, it's stupid, right? You're wearing sunglasses, you're, you're just trying to be cool. So we're working on this, the red carpet, and she gets interviewed by one of the news channels. And so the, the reporter says, wow, that's a lovely dress, Nancy. Can you tell me something about that? Oh, my, my boyfriend, Vincent Versace, gave me this dress. All they heard at the opening of Pret-a-Porter was my last name. Next thing I know, I have every camera and strobe <laughs> firing at me <laughs> at once. 
It was so glaring, I tripped over a turnbuckle and I tripped into Anna Nicole Smith. <laughs> she lifts me up and she whispers in my ear, you've been in a land where most men dream. <laughs> and she says, wear sunglasses next time. And that just stuck with me, not because it was a life-changing hysterical moment, but strobes are so jarring that if you're not used to it, it takes you out of the moment. Oh but man, if you have, you've really got me wanting to do this now. And if you've got continuous light, they have no idea. So if you've got this guy that's been in Battle of the Bulge in D-Day, right? Start having him talk about what it felt like and just sit there in continuous follow focus and hold the shutter down as he relives a moment. All right, in the movie Lawrence of Arabia, you know that scene where they come in on Peter O'Toole's eye and yes. the um, camels are coming across and you watch his muscles go twitch, twitch, twitch. Do you know why the muscles are twitching like that? Because of the gait of the camera. So he's right. moving in continuous, but what you're looking at is 30 frames a second. So what's occurring is you're seeing da 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 and all of a sudden we playwright, oh my God, that's so intense. Look at the, in okay. You want the continuousness of it so that you can capture that minute moment of eye movement or if the tear comes to the edge of the eye before it drops down. And by being able to photograph in a continuous mode where there is no awareness that you're being photographed means that in absolute spontaneity, you can get absolute truth. He can be spontaneous because you're not taking the subject out of the moment. Wow. Genuinely, this is really getting my head spinning now because I've it's it's kind of taking me into an area that I would never have considered. I well, my work is done here then. <laughs> Let's call it a day. <laughs> no, honestly, that I can, but I can totally see why that's going to help. I really can see what's going to help, and especially with this project because I want that intimacy. I don't want that kind of uh, feeling of when these people are explaining what life was like, experiences, to then be interrupted by this flash right and then this noise and then it kind of shakes them out and they've got i've got to then bring them back into that moment to carry on again if i'm doing what you're doing and like you did with your marilyn monroe-esque kind of shoot i can totally see how see this is what this really does excite me the fact that because there's this is a great use of technology Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Here we, you know, we're in photography. Photography's been for years. We take photos. We use flash. Blah blah blah. But now I'm hearing that is a really clever use of technology for getting something. Not just getting a picture, but getting a what's the word you use now? You're you're capturing that kind of timeless temporal apogee. Yeah, that's what you're getting with it. Otherwise, you're just getting a picture. Right, and who cares if it's just a picture? I can put a guy in a uniform, whoop-de-doo. But I don't care about the guy in the uniform when I care about what's inside coming out, what's pulling me through. Okay, I want the subject to hide in the camera. Okay, play my silly game for a second. When you go to a movie and the audience applause, who are they applauding for? I, I would say they're not. They're applauding for the feeling that that whole thing has just given them. Okay, stick with that. So the actor created a feeling in which the audience cannot hold, and this is the way in which you dissipate emotion that normal civilians are not capable of containing. Now, to be able to get there, we have to get the actor to hide 
in the audience. Where is the audience in a movie camera? In a movie, it's in the camera. Yeah, yeah, In yeah. your photo shoot, where is the audience? It's in the camera. In the it's between camera. The camera's yeah. between you and the subject. So it, the picture doesn't happen at the subject. The picture doesn't happen at you. It happens in the space in between. And you're putting a camera in between. So what you have to do is get it so that that can occur. And to get it so that that can occur, unless you are highly trained to do this, which somebody that is that's Battle of the Bulge uh, World War II vet ain't, you need to be able to create a world where they can open up. Um, Confucius said that the hummingbird lands on the stillest branch. You need to create the stillest branch so that the emotions that they're feeling can land. And how do you do that? You remove everything that is motion, everything that is jarring, so that that delicate sensation that he is going to feel. Okay, I, I, my father um, was a um, bomb disposal marine in World War II. Iwo Jima, Okinawa, um, Guadalcanal. He's buried in Arlington. Wow. All right. And every now and then, I would watch my father. He'd go downstairs into his box of memorabilia, and he'd pick out a picture, and he would look at it. And you could see when he looked at this photograph, like in the movie Blade Runner, where the picture moves when he says, memories, they give them memories for a second. I could literally see the trucks in there move, and he would relive the loss of his three friends that were on that truck. And you could just see this emotion come up that's what you want to capture because you're in service of the subject and his story and how do you do that you have got to get out of your own way you have got to remove technology you've got to remove it so that the only thing that can show listen to me tell you what to do i'm sorry I, I no 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 i'm i'm totally listening i'm 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 sucked in here i mean uh, in the royal sense I, in the royal sense you um <laughs> Uh, it's like you, you just have to create a situation in which the safest place for them to be is center stage. Their center stage. Which means that all eyes must be upon them for them to be in center stage. And, and when you say remove the technology, you're basically saying make it invisible. Use it, Correct. but make it invisible by eliminating the flashes, eliminating the noise, and so on and so on and so on. Right. It's like, wow. all right, so let's say music for him is a trigger. Okay, play the music for him, that's a trigger. S smell may be a trigger. Okay, in the conversation that you have, like for me, if, when I do a photo shoot with an actor, um, I generally, I interview them and decide whether or not I want to photograph them. It's not if I'm going to photograph them. It's um, if I can do something. Because I can make anybody look like a movie star, but can they deliver the goods? So I need my pictures to tell truth. So we start with you know, breakfast and sit down and I have a conversation with them and through the course of the conversation, I am finding out who they are because they don't think that it's anything. So they're gonna tell me everything I need to know about who they are and what they want to convey. Okay, he was at the Battle of the Bulge. Find out what he did at the Battle of the Bulge so that when you're having a conversation, what was that like? Do you remember something? You wanna have that moment of where the memory kicks in and it's like, I remember the snow. I remember how cold it was. I remember how nobody should be through that cold. In the moment that he's remembering that is the moment in which you want to capture. Because that is the, uh, because emotions, according to, um, there's something called uh, behavioral effector patterning. This was done by the uh, Marie Curie Institute in France, 50 year research study on the biomechanics of emotion. 
And what they found was that all emotion is universal in all human beings and that it's biomechanical. And what that means is that emotion is varying levels of tension and relaxation in the musculature of the body in conjunction with posture and facial musculature, and it's triggered by breath. So there are different breathing patterns that will trigger different emotions. So what you want to do is get him to relive that micro sensation of what it felt like. And because you have a camera that captures micro sensations, you can capture moment in a way in which is profound. Because if it feels like you're doing nothing, you're doing enough. And it feels like you're doing enough, you're doing too much. And so you just want him to relive the experience wow. as the echo of the memory. I really, I really did not expect this. I really didn't, but I'm, ch I'm chuffed to bits. You've talked about this. I really am, because I know what I've kind of, yeah. Genuinely, I am excited. I felt excited. I was excited about the shoot anyway, but now I know I'm going to try something different. That really is exciting. Well, let me know how it turns out. I can't oh, wait man. to see the picture. Oh, too right, I will. All right, okay. Right then. So one thing I, you, you mentioned earlier on, I've got to ask you about it before I forget about it. This Paris picture on the front of your book from Oz to Kansas. All right. It is a incredible... Now, do I say photograph or do I say picture? But whatever, it is stunning. I love it. It's the way it's kind of got the mist. It's in the distance. There's the... I presume it's snow. Mm -hmm. Come on, tell me this story then. Tell me about this picture. It's a complete and total optical illusion. It's a hysterical story. The story is more funny than the actual picture. Okay. So... Shot that in 2009, or no, 2010, 2009. You remember 2009, the year we all wanted to forget business-wise, <laughs> the worst year ever. Um, so I'm looking in January in 2010, um, as far as the eye can see into an infinity perspective point, no work, okay, because of just how bad 2009 was. Um, 2009 was break even for me, no growth. I just broke even, which I was okay with because I had a lot of friends that went under, under. So what I had was a lot of miles and not a lot of money. So I get this call that says, hey, would you like to come to Paris? You just have to get there. We'll cover the hotel and you can eat off the craft service tables. You just need to talk about photography and still photography and color management. It was a big, uh, big French corporation meeting. Sure, I can either be miserable in Los Angeles or I can be in Paris <laughs> where the food's better. We're going to Paris. So I get the last seat on a 747 in the last row of the plane in between two guys from France that have never seen a bar of soap. Okay, and then somebody in front of me that weighed 6,000 pounds and <laughs> broke the seat. I am literally feeling like a pimento in a <laughs> body odor <laughs> olive. So we fly there. I can't. So I got the seat in front of me. And all right. So we get to this hotel. <laughs> we land in Paris. I go through two and a half hours in customs trying to explain my camera gear. But you are here for work. No, I'm here for. And I mean, it was. So finally get out. It's bleak, it's dark, there are no trees, and I'm stuck now in rush hour traffic in Paris from De Gaulle to get to downtown. Great. I've been up now 39 hours. 
okay, get to the hotel, walk into the hotel, and there is this cardboard cutout of this 1920s bellhop that says, come join the, um, what was it? Come join the concierge class. Concierge class has its privilege. Join the concierge class club. Okay, so I join the concierge club class, and I get a concierge club class card. KKKKKKK. Okay, so get all my bags. The bellman takes me to this elevator, takes my concierge club class card, puts my concierge club class card into the slot in the elevator, all the way up to the top floor. Elevator opens up, and there is this carnelian marble, just a quarter of the floor of every cheese, every meat, every pastry. Oh, I love cheese. Fancy champagnes. It was like, I think, two-thirds of all of the cows, sheep, and goats product for a month were on this table. Just tarts. I'm just, oh, yes. And there was this coffee machine that could make any type of coffee you wanted. And so the guy says, right down here, sir. And I look down, and there's this hallway. Wait a minute. I have my own hallway to my room? Score. So we go down this hallway, and I look. And there's this room that says uh, Machinine du Elevator or something like that. Oh, okay, don't think anything of it. Walk down the hall, and I look at the door, and then there is, um, you know, it, the place was just remodeled. But, you know, when you paint something and there's a sign that was bigger than the sign that's on there, there's a faint little... Yes. Okay, so I look at this, and so there's this slightly bigger than the d door numbers thing. It's like, I don't think anything of it. The door opens up, and it hits the bed. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. The the loo is a combination toilet, shower, and sink. So I guess you literally could <laughs> shower and shave at the same time. I'm looking at this. Okay. The closet for my clothes is so small that the hangers, half the hangers are hanging outside. I'm looking at this window, and it's completely fogged up. And I look closely at it, and what it is is there's an HVAC unit just outside the window, and so it's condensation from the window on there, and I have to stand on the bed to get my luggage in. We put the luggage in oh the bathroom, man. okay? And so the, the guy says to me, the bellhop says to me, would you like earplugs? And he says, why? I mean, I've been up, I mean, we're at 40 hours now. It's like, uh, I'm good. He goes, well, you'll need them. And he closes the door. I'm from San Francisco originally. So as I'm standing on the bed, all of a sudden this room starts shaking. And I mean like shaking. And I'm looking for an, a, a, a door frame because I'm waiting. It's the big one. And then it stops. And then I look at the door and there's always that fire escape map for yes. all the rooms. Yeah. And it says closet de linge or something like that, which translates to linen closet. So what they had done is taken an old linen closet and made it into a room. Uh. That was the very look I had on my face. So I open up the door, go down the hallway, get into the elevator, go down to the elevator, go to the front desk, and I said, I'd like to speak to the general manager. He's not here. Well, I, 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 can't, I, I, I want to change my room. There are no rooms. You put me in a linen closet. Sir, none of our rooms are linen closets anymore. Not anymore, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when can I speak to the general manager? He gets in at 7.30. So I get back in the elevator, go up to the concierge club class, thinking, 
at least I'm going to eat all of this good stuff. I'll just put myself into a food coma. No, 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 no. Closes at 10.30. The only thing left was the coffee machine. Don't need any assistance staying up, thank you very much. So I spent the entire night, every time I'm passing out elevator, passing out elevator. So I went downstairs at 7 o'clock, at 7.30 in the morning, and I have this beautiful, beautiful Giorgio Armani floor-length overcoat that I bought on sale at Century 21 for $300. It's gorgeous. But 300 bucks makes it even better, right? I'm barefoot in sweats in a ripped-up T-shirt. And I walk up to the front desk. I have now not slept for going on two and a half days. And I said to the guy whose back is towards me, he's you know, bald, beautiful suit from the back, I'd like to speak to the general manager now. And, he go, and he, without turning the back, I am the general manager. What may I do for you? It's like, I want to change my room. Monsieur, you're in the room you deserve. We have no rooms. And as he turns around, I look at him. His eyeglasses say, Versace, Versace. His tie, Versace, 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 Versace. His belt buckle. As he leans in, you guessed it, the suit. I'm just thinking, I own you. <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound, right? Okay, so, went to acting school. I just look at him and go, Oh, brilliant. I cannot believe, and let us just speak English so we both understand each other, no French, no Italian. I cannot believe that you would put me in a linen closet. Dirty, nine-yard stare, right? Monsieur, none of our rooms are currently linen closets. What is your room number? You got the room that you deserve. You've got the room that you were... And he I type, give him the room number. You got the room that you were... Buh. Didn't get to booked. Looks down, sees my name. <laughs> Looks up. I'm looking at him. Monsieur, this is you. And I just put my hand up and I go, No. I mean, we, I, I, no. Fix it. Breakfast is on our sale. Michelle, breakfast is on our I don't care. Fix it. I take care of it. And I take four steps. I walk away. I stop. I turn around and I look at him. And I go, nice tie. And then I go down. I'm barefoot. I go down into the dining room. By the time I'm in the dining room, I have a <laughs> table for eight set up with my name written on it. And I have like 20 waiters just bringing me bread, bringing me coffee, bringing me food, bringing me the, and the, and the uh, maitre d' is snapping this, that. And uh, okay, and I'm just sitting there drinking champagne. I am like just sitting there and everybody's watching me. I am in my sweatpants with an overcoat barefoot in a restaurant in Paris. And then the concierge of the hotel comes in and he goes, Monsieur Versace, your room is ready. Please follow me. And as I stand up, he looks and he just snaps his fingers and points. And the table is completely cleared. We enter into this elevator. He puts a key into this other slot. Now on the floor I was on, there were like 30 rooms. Okay. We go up to the eighth or ninth floor, ninth floor, and it opens up. There are one, two, three, four rooms. Okay. Big rooms. <laughs> Walks me to the corner, 
puts the key in the slot, open up, I'm in a suite. I mean, we're talking corner suite with the balcony with that view out my window. Oh, wow. And he hands me his card and he says, if there was ever anything you need, you call me, monsieur. We are so sorry for the inconvenience. All my stuff is upstairs. Everything's in my bedroom. I have two other bedrooms. Um, my gear is in the middle of the floor, so it starts to snow. Then it starts to blizzard. So I grab the tripod. I put the camera on the tripod. I open up the door and I go, Jesus, it's cold. Put the camera outside, close it with the cable release. And just as I'm ready to take a picture, I hear, open up the door. Monsieur, this is the fresh baked bread that you liked with butter. Great. Close the door. Cafe Americano, like you like. Great. A fruit basket with bottles of champagne. Great. Wow. Macarons, like you like. So I'm sitting here drinking coffee, eating bread, but still smoking with my cable release, taking that picture. And your conscience is completely clear because you've said nothing to... Um, how good is that? Okay. So then so, you get that name, I get my name. Well, there you go. <laughs> now, but here's the thing. All right, so optical illusions, right? Think about this. You see the snow moving, right, in that picture? The yeah, snow yeah. is definitely moving. But I'm shooting at a 250th of a second. So if I do it 250th of a second and the sm snow is moving, I get one clump, another clump, this clump, that clump, that clump, this clump. But I don't get that entire mm -hmm. thing that I see. And what that is, and this is my conversation of optical illusions, is the human eye sees things in time and motion. So the conversation of, oh my God, I watched this blizzard happen in front of the Eiffel Tower because it never snows in Paris. Um, but there's no way to photographically convey what a blizzard looks like with just one shot. So what you're looking at is 11 photographs. One for the, the two buildings in the front, one for the Eiffel Tower, and the rest to get all the snow. And when I'm done, you have no idea. Mm. So did I do my job? Optical illusion, yeah, you did, yeah. Okay, so I create optical illusions. Now, when I'm doing photojournalism, do I do that? No, I follow the rules of engagement, but nothing about that is, um, how would you say, is, is photojournalism. But that is what it felt like, that's what it looked like. Mm. It is lovely. You see, where, see where I get, it's like, it's, it's a postcard from the vacation, that's my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's a hoot of a story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got nothing that comes anywhere near that when I think of, I can remember where I was, what I was doing on pretty much every picture I've taken, but nothing compares to that. But I, and, and you keep, keep in mind one thing, I am dead broke. The only reason why I'm there is because I'm at some big convention for a large media company that wanted to have me as an arm piece to talk about photography, and they were planning on me eating food upstairs in the concierge club. What did I wind up with? I wound up with that and didn't spend money on anything while I was there as an apology. So, okay, we're good. See, the, I was so wrapped up in what you were saying earlier on as well about the um, photographing the old boy. And yeah, uh, we've, got to, we've got to get you back on. You've got, to, right. you've got to commit to that now. Right. But before we go, listen, I want to kind of, there's, there's a couple of things we always ask people and I want to get your uh, first thoughts on this. I know I haven't pre-warned you about it uh, and we call it loves and loathes. If I say to you, what do you love about what you do, the industry, whatever? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Watching the epiphany light happen for people. You've seen that tonight. 
Yeah, no, I just, it, it, blow, uh, it, it, it makes it worthwhile. Yeah. Okay, that's a good one. And on the flip side, we say loathes. It doesn't have to be negative. It's kind of a, a negative with a positive spin to it. But thinking about photography, the industry, what you do, what aren't you so keen on? What don't you like? What would you change? I wish that more, a lot of thought goes into stuff. But I, I, I just wish that um, things could be easier to use, just easier. And I can't put my finger on other than that, than just that there needs to be more input from people that understand stuff. And at, there has to be a balance between overly technical and easy to use. Mm -hmm. um, I guess my, my biggest loathe is um, reliance on defaults. I think that the, we did our job too well, that we made de defaults as a good place to start, but frequently people will take default as, oh, that's pretty good. Well, oh, that's good enough. Mm. Good enough is not good enough. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect is where you start and you try to do better. Well, I think I've covered maybe three or four things on this huge list here that you can see, so I'm keeping that. I'm filing that for the next time you're right. on. But we have this thing, me and Dave, and we did it uh, yesterday, that when we have somebody on for us a kind of uh, a second uh, spot, which I really, really do want you to do, it has to be in person. All right? Okay. So... <laughs> Well, so come to LA, I'll do your portrait. That's what we're going to organize. And I'm going to do your portrait. I was, I was gutted that we didn't get a chance to meet up when I was over in LA recently because I want yeah, to I was do in your Cuba portrait. And I was sorry about that. Well, you know, I know where I'd have rather been. <laughs> but I, <laughs> but I, yeah, I want to do your portrait and I want us to be able to sit down and just talk and just go through some stuff again. But Vincent, I have genuinely, absolutely, 100%, absolutely love this. You've, you've literally just, you've, you've got my head just going mad here. You really are. Well, that makes my day. I have one request. Go for it. What can I? Can I? Two things I need to plug. Is that okay? Uh, listen. Oh yeah. Okay. So come on. Tell us. Number one. Where can people find you? Uh, and is there anything else that you want to let people know about that's coming up that you're doing or, or whatever? Well, I'm doing BNH. Uh, uh, the BNH um, uh, three days of live streaming on Monday. Tuesday and Wednesday, so 10, 11, 12. So where can, yeah. where can people get the links for that? Because we'll put those on the show notes as well. Um, I can send you the links. Please do. Yeah, and we'll make sure they're on the actual description, show notes of this podcast, wherever it goes, okay? And I'll send that. Um, and the other thing that would make my day, because it's all about social media, um, please follow me on Instagram. Okay. So for those, I, I do already, but for those though, uh, folks out there listening now, what's your Instagram handle? Vincent underscore Versace. Okay, and again, I'll get Dave. Dave does all the admin stuff. He'll put that on there as well. Uh, that seems to be the big, big requirement these days is you must be on Instagram. And I, 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 lo I love Instagram. I, it's it's I a like happy Instagram. place. Well, yeah, I, I had one guy that kind of panned one of my pictures and it was like, you know, I have enough art directors that do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your input and have a nice day. Um, well, no, I love what I love about Instagram is I love looking at other people's pictures. I just I sit there and I you know I like all the ones that I like and I get to see things that, that in my little slice of heaven I don't necessarily get to see and s there are some extraordinary photographers out there and they're on Instagram. The next Michelangelo, the next Da Vinci, that's going to be on Instagram. I, I haven't done an Instagram live for a few weeks. I know as soon as me and you finish speaking. I'm going to dive on there now because I want to kind of just let people know what we've spoken about briefly about this, um, 
your thoughts. I just want, I feel like I need to get on Instagram live and just talk about something just for a, a short while. Um, but yeah, blown away. Thank you so much for your time. I genuinely mean that. I really do. No, no worries. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. You're a top man. Thank you very much. All right. Peace.